0: You know, earlier, Sean was up here and he said, hey, everybody, how you been doing this week? And it was like, uh, now you know how the Georgia fans felt last year, all right? Isn't that right, Tennessee? Hey, but you can still be champions of life, so that's all right. Oh, is it too soon already for that? Okay, my bad. Uh, man, isn't it fun, though, to be able to have all of the different… Um, Man, the different allegiances and the different uh, things we become involved in, and we, uh, we pour all kinds of effort and energy into our universities, into our football teams that we follow, and it makes for such uh, exciting times, and it makes also for some very demoralizing times. And then we come and we step in to a time of worship, and we realize how small all those things are truly are. As we get a bigger picture of God and as we begin to see the family of God and understand how that we are all the same because we have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And because of the faith that we have in Christ, we are, we are one and we are united. And we then come and, and raise up our voice in song and, and share in bread and cup and it's just a wonderful thing. To be able to to have an opportunity where all those things in life that at some times can seem so big, we get a proper perspective and we realize just how small many things are. Now I understand that you could be that what happened yesterday afternoon in the Tennessee football game, boy, that's only a blip on the radar of your life because of what's going on right now. There are other things that are taking your attention. There are other things that have your mind so focused in that thoughts of football games, I mean, that is such a small thing. And it's because of this that we have been going through a study looking at the life of a man named Joseph. And we've been looking at it because it is God's ultimate masterpiece, the way that he would take and weave those things that were good, those, those high moments of victory, and weave those with those moments of, of painful defeat and loss, and weave them together in a way that would ultimately not only be beneficial for Joseph, but for his family and, and for those in the country that he was living and, and for those who would come long after him. You see, Joseph ends up being taken by his brothers and sold off. He's sold off and he's taken to a place in, called Egypt. And there he ends up spending his adult years. And it is just one just calamity, it seems, after another. And then after some 17 to 20 years has passed, his brothers come to Egypt. They stand face to face with him. And they're so afraid that he is going to enact revenge on them because of the position that he now holds. But I want you to see what he said. It's found in your Bibles in the book of Genesis, chapter 50 and verse 20. And he tells his brothers that the things that they did, that they intended to harm him, he said, but God intended it for good. And he uses a word there that as its foundation and base means to weave. And he says, you weaved evil for me when you threw me in that pit. You weaved evil for me when you took and sold me off. But God would go and begin to weave all of these things. And he would weave good. And he would take the evil that you intended and said, you know what, I can use that and, and I can I can take Joseph's time in the pit, and I can take his time in Egypt, and I can use that for something that is going to benefit not only him but others and all the humanity that surround him. I want you to understand that what God did for Joseph, He stands ready to do for you. I truly believe this: that your life is God's masterpiece. Where others look and wonder how it is that that it seems like sometimes nothing ever goes right for you, but yet you still stay focused and you still remain faithful. God is, God is weaving throughout this whole process. And maybe for you right now, you're in that period where it seems that everyone is trying to weave evil into your life. Please rely on the fact that God is still there weaving good at the same time. You're his masterpiece. And so we want to focus in again, just for a few minutes today, on the life of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 39, it says that, now Joseph went down to Egypt. And I think this is a great metaphor, really, for, for life. Oftentimes, we go down to Egypt as well. We go down to Egypt, and Egypt is that place where you don't speak the language, where the chaos and the crisis situation that you find yourself in, the grief that you are experiencing, it's not something that is natural to you. It's not something that you feel comfortable with. And so it's a time of great distress. It's a time, perhaps, of great loss. You know what it means to go down to Egypt. Right after you walk out of the doctor's office, right after you find out you didn't make the team, it's, it happens when all of a sudden you find out that the company you work for is is downsizing. It takes place when you become the empty nester and you wonder exactly how things are going to go now that life is truly changed. And so you go down to Egypt. You go down to a place that you were not familiar with. But it says in verse 2 that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Even though he was in a place that he didn't recognize, even though he was in a situation that found him as a slave, it says, that the Lord was with him. And my question for you, and I think we asked it last week as well, do you believe that the Lord is with you in your Egypt? Do you believe that God truly is with you? Because you will never go where God is not. You can't. You'll never go where God is not. No matter what is planned for this week, no matter what's going to take place, you guys don't know what's going to happen in school this week. You don't know what's going to go on at work. You don't know what's going to happen in your family. You don't know what's going to happen in this country. You don't know what's going to happen around the world. Those individuals in London who got on the subway had no idea that there was going to be an explosion that would take place. But you never go where God is not. And He has promised that he will be with you no matter where your Egypt is. It continues in Genesis 39 and verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. That's where, that's where I just can't read it anymore. I mean that just, you know, would you like to find yourself written in Scripture? You know, wouldn't you like to look in there and find yourself and find something said about you in Scripture? I would like that said about me. You know, if I had to have something said about me, now Chris was well-built and handsome. That would be awesome to find that in scripture. I mean, normally we think that scripture is all about, well, this person was holy or this person was evil. And sometimes it just says the truth. Joseph was a good looking dude. I mean, he was fine. Now I don't relate to the story anymore. Before, yes, but now no. But it says Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while his, his master's wife took notice of him. You see Joseph had been bought, purchased to work in the home of an Egyptian official and God was with him and Joseph prospered and Joseph worked hard for his master And because of the way in which he worked, because of the blessings of the Lord, Joseph was able to be in charge of everything going on within the household. But as happens, someone else besides the master took a liking to Joseph. And so, Potiphar's wife begins to drop little hints, begins to ask little questions Just to test the waters, to see what this Hebrew, what he would do and how he would react. After all, he's in Egypt. He's a part of the household. He's not connected to his family anymore. This is a new place and a strange land. So he should be able to do whatever he wants. And so she says, Joseph, why don't you come and go to bed with me? why don't you just come and spend some time with me? Because after all, I can make it easier for you with Mr. Potiphar. After all, I am the lady of the house. After all, you are a slave here. You should do what I ask you to do. After all, you are in Egypt. And hey, when in Egypt, just be like the Egyptians. Have you ever noticed that When you are going through periods of frustration, when you are in times maybe of depression, when you are in those moments where, yes, you are living in Egypt, it seems that temptation just keeps up rising up and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Can I encourage you to not allow today's frustrations to impact tonight's choices? You know, sometimes we just get so fed up and so tired with the situation that we're in. We're just upset. We wanted things to be different. We wanted our health to be stronger. We wanted there to be more money in the bank account. We wanted to be more successful. We wanted the relationship with our spouse to be something that we could be proud of. We wanted the respect of our children and the rest of our family. But whatever it is, for some reason, right now we find ourselves in Egypt. And it's during those moments, it's during those moments of frustration, those moments when we're not happy with where we are, that for some reason, Satan understands that, you know what? Now you are the most vulnerable. Because after all, who would blame you for going to lunch with her? After all, your wife hardly eats supper with you now. After all, who who would blame you from, who would blame you from just speaking like everybody else speaks, talking like everybody else talks? Who would blame you from using vulgarities and, and cursings? Because after all, when in the locker room, you act like you're supposed to in the locker room. When you're at work, you act like you're supposed to at work. This is how business gets done. This is how we move. This is how things are supposed to be. And you want to succeed and you want things to get better. And you're not being considered into the in-group. And you're not being considered for the promotion. So let me just go and act like everybody else in Egypt is supposed to act. But don't let today's frustrations impact tonight's choices. Listen to the frustration of the writer of Psalm 73. He said, I had almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have problems like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. What's he saying? When you're in the pit, when you're in the prison, when you're in Egypt, everybody else's life looks better than yours. Nobody else is having the problems that you have. Everybody else's marriage is great. Everybody else's kids are on the honor roll. Everybody else's dog greets them at the door. It's a beautiful thing. And life is great for them. Because when life's bad for me, I try to take out my frustration by by looking at everybody else and saying, why can't you have some problems? Why can't you have difficulties? And I begin to get even more frustrated because I see the way you live your life and I just decide, you know what, it it must not be worth it. He says, they wear their pride like a jewel necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. They have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak on the evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. He says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Why am I coming to worship? Why am I a part of this small group Bible study? Why am I volunteering for any ministry? What good is it doing me? They don't go to church. They don't put God first in their life. And look, things look good for them. Things seem to go well. They're not having to take care of their sick parents. They're not dealing with the cancers. They're not having to struggle through parent-teacher conferences. They're not having to deal with those things that I am. I must be keeping myself pure for nothing because... Going to worship and going to Bible class and being a part of the kingdom of God should account for something, right? I get nothing but trouble all day long and every morning brings me pain. If I'm speaking close to home to you this morning and you are or you have been that person that has allowed the frustrations and the problems of now impact the choices that you make in the evening, impact the choices that you make during the next day. And if those, if it just seems as if those choices keep being those things that are further and further away from where you know you should be, then can I give you just a very simple encouragement? Encouragement. Do what pleases the Lord. Even in the midst of your Egypt, even when others are calling your name and asking for you to make decisions that you know are not right. She called out to Joseph and said, please come and and go to bed with me. And he says and answers her in verse 13, or excuse me, in verse 9, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? How can I do this thing that you're asking when I know that this is not what my God desires? His first and ultimate focus was not on what his master would think. It wasn't on what the other servants would say about him. It was what his God would know was going on in his heart. And what we need today is during those times, especially when we are in Egypt and it seems that everything is against us. To make our choices, not based on doing whatever is allowed by culture, but make choices that say, I will do what pleases the Lord. I will act in a way that brings honor and glory to Him. I've read of individuals who have been cur- encouraged before to, to make a list of how their life would be affected if they, if they chose to be sexually immoral. If they chose to listen to the Mr. or Mrs. Potiphar's of the world that with their sweet enticement said, why don't you leave behind the one who, who isn't paying attention to you? Have you ever thought of doing that? Just making a list of the people that would be impacted if you went against the vows that you made to your spouse? Have you written down your wife or your husband's name? Have you Have you written down the names of your children? Have you written down the people who have been in your Bible classes? Have you written down the people that you work with, the the kids on the ball team where you coach? Have you written down those extended family members? Have you thought about the way in which your decisions and your choices impact others? You see, one act of carnality is a poor exchange for a lifetime of lost legacy. And you might look at yourself right now and say, nothing's going right, so why can't I just do what I want to do? Because the choice that you make today, while it might bring you satisfaction in the moment, if it is not a choice that pleases God, ultimately ends up hurting not only your very soul, but also the souls of those that you are closest to. So may I encourage you and implore you, if you're considering to take that step, if you're thinking about taking that lunch date, sending that text, going to that website, can I encourage you, can I implore you to please consider first, what is it that God would like me to do with this time? Where is it that God wants me to focus right now in my life? Dads, you would not intentionally go and break any bone of your child. That kind of action would violate every moral fiber of your being. But when you go and violate the commitment that you have made to your spouse, when you engage in sexual activity outside of your marriage, then you bring much more pain into the life of your child than just a broken bone would. And moms, you would never ask for your child to go and sleep outside in the cold and in the elements. Yet, if you involve yourself in an illicit affair, you will bring more darkness and chill into the lives of your children than a hundred winters. And if you're a single man or woman who's here this morning, you say you wouldn't think about desecrating the Bible or making mockery of the cross. Yet, when you engage in unmarried sexual relations, you, you disregard one of God's holy acts. And Scripture says that don't you know that your body is the, whole, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is inside you. Actions have consequences. And Joseph placed his loyalty to God above his lust. And he honored his ultimate master. Even though you might be in Egypt and even though you might be in a low time in your life, do what pleases the Lord. And understand that even if you do what is right today, Egypt will always give you another chance tomorrow to make a bad decision. The text says that day after day, she kept putting pressure on Joseph. So you didn't drink today, but you're going to be tempted to drink tomorrow. So, so you, you, you didn't lash out in anger today, but tomorrow is another opportunity. So you, you put God first and you came today and, and you worshiped and your focus has been solely on Him, but you're going to have an opportunity tomorrow in the workplace to all of a sudden shift that attention to something that is ungodly. Egypt will always give you another chance to make a bad decision. Psalm 4 and verse 5 says, do what is right as a sacrifice to the Lord and trust the Lord. You see, Egypt will always give you another chance to make a bad decision. But those chances, those those opportunities that are given are also opportunities for you to seek a way to please God and to seek a way to show that your trust is in Him and not in yourself. And so if you've been an individual and this has been a difficult time for you and you've seen yourself making these poor choices, understand that tomorrow gives you another day. Tomorrow gives you another opportunity to put God first and to do those things that please Him. That was the discovery that a young man named Thomas made. He was born in 1899 to a Baptist minister and church pianist. He was introduced to music early on and it became a a great part of his life. He would go and take the jazz music of his African-American community there where he grew up in the deep south and he would become a star and he would go and shine in his late teens in Philadelphia and Chicago and he would play in the speakeasies of the day making a huge name for himself one day a family member a family member reached out to him and asked if he had compromised the principles of his youth the principles that had been shared with him by his his pastor father by his singing mother he admitted that he had walked away and forgotten many things about his faith. That is, his talent had opened the doors. It had left him exhausted and weary. And he had gotten to a point where he'd seen the way that others who did not have God in their life, the way that they lived and thought, this must be what a musician is supposed to do. This must be what is supposed to happen. But the relative urged him to return to God. And at the age of 21, he made a A big transformation, and he would write later that his inner being was thrilled, his soul was a deluge of divine rapture as emotions were aroused within him, and his heart was inspired to become a great singer and worker in the kingdom of the Lord. And so young Thomas began pouring his inner energy into God honoring music. Rhythm and blues would meet worship and praise. And the result became a new kind of toe-tapping, soul-lifting music. He took the role as as a a musician of music or a director of music at a Chicago church. At the age of 26, Thomas met the love of his life. He got married. He began a publishing company. He founded the National Convention of Gospel Choirs and Choruses. And he worked with some of the greatest singers and songwriters of the 20th century. By 1932, he was enjoying the blessings of God at a breakneck speed. He had a happy marriage, a growing ministry. First child was on the way and life was good. Until one night he was in St. Louis, Missouri and he received a note after he walked off stage and all the telegram said was, your wife just died. She had passed away in childbirth and so Thomas hurried back to Chicago and there his newborn son had passed the following day. He falls in just into this deep pit of grief and mourning. He avoided people and he grew angry with God. He said, I just wanted to go back to the jazz world that I knew so well because I felt that God had done me an injustice. I didn't want to serve him anymore. I didn't want to write any songs for him. And so he secluded himself. He nursed his anger. He fed his sorrow. A friend seemed to know what he needed and went and urged Thomas to a neighborhood music school, and that evening while the sun was setting, he sat down at a piano and he began to play, and he poured out his heart to God, and what wonderful words they were. You might not recognize the young man here, maybe the older gentleman in the next picture is something more familiar, or, or maybe you've never seen a picture of Thomas Dorsey before. But you know the words that he wrote in the pit. You know the words that he wrote when he was in Egypt. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. He says, I sat down at the piano and my hands began to browse over the keys. Then something happened. I felt as though I could reach out and touch God. I found myself playing a melody, one I'd never heard or played before. And the words, they began to come into my head and they seemed just to fall into place. When my way groweth drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand, lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. Maybe you're in Egypt this morning. Turbulent times will tempt you to forget God. Shortcuts will try to lure you away. And sirens will call your name. Don't be foolish. Don't be naive. Do what pleases the Lord. And take tomorrow's opportunity to do bad, to honor God, and to walk with Him as He leads you home. Father, I thank you for this day and for the way that being together reminds us of those things that are truly important. And there are individuals who are here this morning that know what it means to be in Egypt to know what it means to feel as if everything is against them. And many have been strong, and many have kept their faith. And there are others, though, Father, that it has just become easier and easier to let things go and to let things slide. And there have been decisions made that are not pleasing to you. Father, remind, remind them today that forgiveness is always, always near that you are always with them, that even in the midst of whatever darkness they find themselves, that you are there as a light to their path. And Father, may we all take your hand during those times that are difficult, those times when our way grows drear, when it seems that our life is almost gone. Thank you for hearing our cry. Thank you for hearing our call. Father, we ask you today, Precious Lord, lead us home. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. If you need to respond this morning because of the message of the Lord, I encourage you to do so as together we sing the words, Take my hand, precious Lord.